Hey everyone, I want to welcome you this morning. My name's Tony. I have the pleasure of being on staff here at Wellspring. It's good to be with you. I don't know if you know, but today is actually the first weekend, the first Sunday of Advent. Now, if you didn't grow up uh, in the church, or maybe the church you grew up in grew up in didn't ever talk about Advent, and you're like, I have no idea what Tony is talking about. Well, Advent's been celebrated for about 1,500 years-ish in church history. Uh, it's basically a season where we prepare our hearts for Jesus' arrival at Christmas. Advent simply means uh, coming or arrival. And it's traditionally the four weeks leading up to Christmas, right, where we remember Jesus' birth. And what we do during Advent is we prepare our hearts to be present to Jesus at Christmas, but we also invite Jesus in this season into our present. And we look forward to His future return, His future coming, when He's going to come again and make all things new. Now, usually this season, Advent season, Christmas season, you know, Thanksgiving up to Christmas is a crazy season. People are traveling all over the U.S., we're going to parties, we're hanging out with friends, we're doing all kinds of stuff. But the thing is, right, we're in a pandemic. So I think for some of us, this is an opportunity maybe to realign some of our priorities during this Advent season to really make space for Jesus, to prepare our hearts in this season. Because the truth is, right, the patterns we get into shape our behavior. I have sort of a, a silly story of this. So often when I'm doing a text or an email, if I'm on my phone and not on my computer, I will speak into my phone. And right in order to do that, you need to pronounce punctuation. So I'll be like, hey, exclamation mark, this is Tony, right? And that's how you record the text. Well, a few weeks ago, I actually called someone and I was leaving a voicemail. And I said something like this on the voicemail, hey, this is Tony, exclamation mark. It, look forward to talking soon, period. And then I realized halfway into the voicemail that I was actually pronouncing the punctuation and this is the first time I had ever talked to this person. It was pretty embarrassing. The point of the story is this, though. We get into patterns. We get into rhythms. And then unconsciously, we just live into those rhythms and patterns. And I think we have an opportunity this Advent you know, because I think our lives are going to be a little bit less hectic and a little less busy to make space to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Now, one of the ways the church has been doing this for a long, long time is actually marking time each week by the use of an Advent wreath. Now, if you've never used one of these, basically there's a candle for each Sunday in Advent and then also for Christmas. And what you do is you light one candle each Sunday to mark the passage of time. In some ways, I know this is sort of a, a silly way of comparing, but it's sort of like on New Year's Eve, right? You count down to the new year, you know, 10, 9, right? And you get to one and you're like ready. You know, in the same way, we, we mark the passage of time at Advent to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Now, I would encourage you, if you're at home, listening in, I would encourage you, make a wreath. And each Sunday, we're going to do this on the live stream. So I would encourage you to also do it with your family or by yourself. Make your own wreath, right? And do it simultaneously with me. Now, this Sunday, I'm going to 
just light one of these candles, then I'm going to say a prayer for us. Uh, so I just invite you to receive this prayer as I light the first Advent candle. Father, Son, Spirit, on this first week of Advent, we proclaim our hope in you. We believe your promises are true. We rejoice in the promise which was fulfilled at our Savior's coming. We trust you for the promise that will be fulfilled at the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, as we put our hope in you. Amen. During Advent, one of the things we do is to light candles to mark the passage of time. Now, another kind of counterintuitive way that we prepare ourselves for this season is actually to pay attention to our needs, our wants, our longings. Now, on one level, that feels like super simple, like light a candle, pay attention to what you want. But the truth is, in our culture, it's much easier to light a candle than it is to be in touch with your own longings. If you, even if we were all gathered here this morning and we did a quick survey and we said, you know, and walked around and just said, you know, how are you doing? I bet you that nine out of ten people would say, fine or good in response. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Good. Right? That's just kind of how we are conditioned as a culture. Right? But this is not the way that we respond during Advent. This is not how we prepare ourselves during Advent, by simply saying fine or good to every query about how we are doing. Advent is about crying out to God from a place of personal need and global need. Advent spirituality gives us permission, actually, to say, you know what? I'm actually not okay today. I'm actually not fine. And when we look at the Scriptures, what we see is our world is beautiful it's full of joy and good stuff, but it's also filled with evil and injustice, abuse of power, and layers upon layers of brokenness and sin. And I just want to acknowledge this morning that for some of us, paying attention to our own needs or wants or desires is actually super tricky. You're sitting there sort of squirming in the couch like, I, Tony, I'm fine paying attention to other people's needs, but mine? Or some of us are so shaped by sort of this desire for positivity, this posture of positivity that we sidestep. We sidestep the, the places of brokenness and discomfort, places where we really need God to come in, but we sidestep it and just sort of put on a smile. We wear a mask and pretend like everything is okay. Right? And others of us, have sort of commingled, practicing the way of Jesus with a sort of Protestant work ethic where we just try harder, we work harder, and we think somehow that's going to lead us to maturity or holiness. Like we believe in a gospel of sin management or a gospel of self-help. But the truth is, Advent is a season when we acknowledge that God is the only one who can truly heal us. God is the only one who can truly transform 
save, redeem, and make all things new. Now, our hope during Advent, right, is to lean into this kind of stuff. And this morning, we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 80. It's been one of the central prayers of the Advent season for centuries. Now, it's tricky to date psalms, but likely it was written in the 8th century. And what's happened is the Assyrian Empire is moving and starting to approach and potentially invade the northern kingdom. Right, so if you, a little history, right? you have the Davidic kingdom, you have David, he performs one kingdom, then it eventually splits into a northern and a southern kingdom. The Assyrian Empire is this huge, powerful empire, and they start moving against the northern kingdom, right? They'll conquer the northern kingdom, then the Babylonian Empire, they'll conquer the Syrians, and the Babylonians will come and conquer the southern kingdom. That's kind of the flow. Psalm 80, imagine there's an army daily progressing closer to your border, you know that if they get there, they are going to conquer you. We would imagine something like that happening here. Imagine battleships and all kinds of military people like coming up the Pacific coast, and you can see them from your house. Imagine how terrifying that would be. Imagine that felt experience of need. Maybe Maybe you have a taste of it, right, over the last nine months of this pandemic. Maybe there have been moments when you felt super powerless and you wondered, God, where are you? Maybe that gives us a hint of where the psalmist is coming from as he writes the 80th Psalm. Now, it can be easily divided into three parts. This is how the first part starts. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned among the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might. Come and save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Now you'll notice, right, the, the psalmist begins by talking to God as the shepherd of Israel. Now, I remember the first time, I, well, the only time I went to Israel, and I realized very quickly that Israel is not Ireland, right? Ireland, you imagine the shepherd, what does he do? He just like sits back and plays on his iPhone because the sheep have green pastures everywhere. But the shepherd in Israel, right, is sort of in, is in this hilly space where there's not a lot of green grass. He has to actually take the sheep to places where there might be some weeds springing up in the rock. But those same places are the, also the places where lions dwell. Right, so the shepherd, when the psalmist calls out to the shepherd, he's calling out to one who protects and one who provides. And it's to this provider, protector, that the psalmist says, right, give ear, verse 1, right, listen to me. He invites him to lead, verse 1. Right, the Syrians are at the gate. He's not sure what to do. God, what do we do? I don't know how I personally relate to this. Like, pandemic, massive election, smoke. Our family has had some health stuff. Like, God, what do I do? How do I move forward? This is uncharted territory, God. I don't know what to do. He feels like he's in this darkness. And so he asks God to shine forth. 
I once was on this camping trip, backpacking trip in the Cascades in Washington, and we did this long day, and we showed up at our, like, you know, the place we thought would be a good place to make a camp, but it was almost dark. And as we're trying to set up, literally, it gets dark. And I don't mean like, I go on walks, you know, it gets dark early here, right? And so I go outside and I take the dog on walks and I can see. I don't need a lamp. On this backpacking trip, when it got dark, it was like pitch black. Have you ever had that experience where you like literally, it's dark and you put your hand in front of your face and you cannot see your fingers? Like that kind of dark. And if we hadn't had headlamps, I mean, literally, there, we were absolutely powerless to set up our camp without a light. And I think this is what the psalmist is asking for from God, right? God, bring a light into this darkness. Listen, guide us, give ear, O shepherd. And then he repeats this phrase in verse 3 that he repeats three times in this psalm. Verse 3, restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we might be saved. Right? Life has taken this turn. The Assyrians are at the gates. Right? A pandemic is all over our world. God, save us. Come near. Have you ever had that experience when you're in the darkness? And you ask God, God, save us. Because you know that without his light, you are literally lost. You ever felt like that? Maybe you feel like that today. Like that sense in your gut where you're like, God, where are you? I think this is why the psalmist says in verse 2, right, stir up your might. In Hebrew, this word stir up could also be translated rouse or wake up. In Hebrew, this is a way of saying, God, get out of bed. God, we are here. The Assyrians are at the gate. Life is falling apart. God, wake up. Now, I say realize that some of us right, are not used to this kind of prayer. We're like, whoa, that's a little presumptive, isn't it, Tony? And yet, this is a prayer in the Bible. The Psalter, the collection of Psalms, is actually how we model our prayer. This is how Jesus learned to pray. Did you know that over a third of the Psalms are actually laments, prayers, just like this. No other Near Eastern God invited His people to pray with this kind of honesty, this kind of rawness, this kind of realness. And what we learn from the Psalms is that God is way more interested in us being in communication, being honest, being real. He would rather us continue the dialogue than pretend like everything is okay when it actually isn't. Because we all know how that happens, what happens when you stop talking. We know this in relationships. Something happens, you're upset with a person, you're upset with stuff, and you stop talking, what happens? You start drifting apart. God knows that one of the keys to relationship is ongoing honesty. Right, that's how we go deeper 
with God. Right? In the scriptures, there's this basic assumption that life isn't easy. Right? Our world is full of sin. It's full of brokenness. It's full of evil and injustice. And it can be right, devastatingly difficult. Because of this reality, the scriptures consistently encourage us to talk with God. Right? Not just for our benefit, as if talking was itself the cure. Because there is a deep conviction in the scriptures that God actually cares. Right behind the scenes of the psalmist's frustration, behind the scenes of the psalmist's anger, is the assumption that God actually cares about us. Right? If he didn't, the psalmist wouldn't keep on talking. Right? He prays because God shows up. Because God loves us. Right? And grounded in the goodness of God but also continually communicating with honesty and rawness. The psalmist continues in 4 through 7. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the object of contention for our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. In verse 4, right? God, you're in charge of legions of angels. You're the God of hosts. How long will you sleep in? Right? You have the power to do anything. Why are you waiting? How long, O God? Right? He kind of riffs back to the time in the Exodus, right, when God is feeding his people with manna from heaven. And yet, the psalmist is like, we are eating the tears that are falling from our pain. Right? Long ago, God, you made water flow out of a rock when your people are thirsty. Why are we drinking gallons of our own tears and desperation? Now, the psalmist in verse 4 also presumes that God is angry with their prayers. But we don't know how God feels. That's, that's how the psalmist presumes. That's his experience. But we don't know how God feels. We know that God loves us. We don't always know why God acts or doesn't act. What we do know in the context is that the Assyrians are laughing at the people of God as they pray and receive no response. Psalmist is tired. He's beat down by life. He's like, God, how long? Well, I guess some of us feel this way. The way 2020 has gone, it's just like, God, how long? I mean, how many texts have I gotten over the last four months of like, Tony, when is the next, you know, foot going to drop? When is the next plague going to arrive? There's this sense of like, God, really? Is there going to be more? And then verse 7, right, he comes back to this refrain. Oh, God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. Right? Even in the pit of despair, the psalmist continues to turn towards God, which is hard to do if you've been in that place. The psalmist continues to turn towards God. This is in the end of the prayer. 
This is how section 3 reads, right? The Assyrian army are at the gates. And the psalmist writes this. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. Right? You cleared the ground for it. You took, it took deep root and it filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea. It shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar ravages it. The boar from the forest ravages it. And all that move in the field, they feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for the vine, the stock that your right hand planted for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. I want you to notice something. In verse 8, the psalmist goes back to the truth of how God has been faithful in the past. You brought us out of Egypt. Remember the context of that. The Hebrew people. They're in slavery, right? For 400 years, they're oppressed. The people of God are calling out to God. And what does the text say? The text says, they, God hears and He sees their misery. And what does He do? He comes and He rescues them. Right? This is one of the defining stories of the Old Testament. And what do we see? The psalmist, the Assyrians are at the gate. The, he's drinking his tears. He is angry. He is frustrated. He is sad. He is depressed. And what does he do? He looks back to the past in order to have hope for the future. God, you rescued your people long ago. Come again. Look at this vineyard you planted. You loved it, God. God, you say you love this vineyard. Look how you invested in it. And yet, look at the fence. It's fallen down. God, you're like an absentee landlord. Strangers are coming in and picking the fruit. The boards are digging up the ground. Insects are devouring all the plants. And there's this fire starting to burn. Are you not going to show up, God? Verse 14, turn again. God, you're going this way. Turn back to us, right? And when he turns, what happens? His face shines upon them. Right? Look down from heaven and see. God, don't you see what's going on? 18 and 19, give us life and we will call upon your name. Now, you might be wondering, like, okay, uh, great, You've, we've gone through Psalm 80. What does this have to do with Christmas? Like, why this psalm? Why is the church historically turned to Psalm 80 during Advent? Right? How do we transition from the 8th century to the 1st century? Why does this song become so important? Well, in the first century, what do we see, right? Rome is ruling over Israel. The people of God feel oppressed, they feel helpless, and they feel like the only one who can come and help them 
is God, and they call upon God to rescue them. God, see the misery of your people, right? Come. And what does God do? He takes on human form in the person of Jesus, and he wades into the mire of the brokenness. So we read Psalm 80 in light of Jesus' incarnation, that it's into this context, this broken, broken world, that God hears our prayers and he comes to be with us. And he's Emmanuel. In this Advent season, right, we remember that. God heard the cry of his people and he came into their presence. And we remember and we call out to God that he might come into our present as well through the Spirit. And we remember and we look forward to God coming into the presence of this world in order to make all things new, right? Because he promises to return, to come again. During Advent, right, we acknowledge our hopes, our needs, our longings, our struggles, just as the psalmist did. And then we take from that place, right, we call out to God. Now, there's two things I think just really hit practically for us in this season. Two ways that we can really do something, ways that we can respond in this season. As maybe we have a little more time in this Advent, right, in a pandemic, probably not traveling as much, probably not gathering as much, probably with a little more space. There are two things in particular I want to focus on. The first is this, is our masks. I recently read a quote that struck me. It said this, if you wear a mask long enough, you begin to forget who you are beneath it. This is the thing. If we are constantly telling one another and ourselves, hey, we're okay, we're fine, if we, start, if we stop actually sharing our struggles with one another, my fear is we will lose touch with who we are. Broken creatures in need of our Creator. Sinners in need of our Redeemer. Slaves in need of freedom. If we wear our masks long enough, sometimes we forget who we are underneath. Right? And Advent is a season when we lean in to our wants, our longings, and our needs. Right? It's the season when we remember. We don't avoid, but we remember, we see the need of our world. And then we call out to God to come and help us. Because we don't believe in a self-help gospel. We don't believe in a gospel of sin management. We believe in a gospel where God is the one who restores and saves and redeems. Super practically, I'd invite you to do two things this week. First, I invite you to do a personal inventory, particularly on the need side. So spiritually, when you look at your spiritual life, what do you want to change? Is it your prayer life? Particular sins that are popping up that bother you? 
if you were to be honest with God, what would you change about your spiritual life or emotionally? Right? What, what could you imagine how, God shifting your emotional world? Maybe you're feeling really down these days. Or relationally, maybe there's patterns of brokenness or particular relationships these days that are causing you pain or a struggle. Or physically, maybe their physical experience of life right now is really hard. So I would invite you to jot down a couple of those things. Do a little personal inventory of places of needs, wants, and longings as it relates to those different categories. And then second, this week, I invite you to read the news one morning and just write down needs in our world. I encourage you not just to focus on the U.S., but also the whole globe. Write down needs in our world that you see. All right, that's related to our masks. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is our prayers. Right, because Advent, what we see in Psalm 80 is the psalmist calls out for God to come, restore and shine his face into the brokenness and to save. Right, the psalmist cries out for himself, but also for others. Right? And this prayer is a preparation for our heart as we walk the road to Christmas. We're invited to become a people of prayer. Practically, uh, as a church, you know, we have a number of these little uh, candles with little glass around them. I invite you to either buy one or get one. We have a bunch at the church we're going to hand out at our live service. If you don't have one, we'll have extras. Uh, and what I want you to do is each day light this candle as a part of your prayer, as a way of saying, God, we invite you to be the light in our present darkness. I invite you to do this every day. And what I want you to do is from your personal inventory of the things you wrote down, pick one and take a Sharpie and write it on this candle. As a way of saying, reminding yourself each day you light it, God, this is what I am inviting you. This is what I am inviting you to work on, right? And then talk with God about it. And second, I want to, write, I want to invite you to write one thing from your, from your global list of needs in the world. Maybe it's about the U.S., maybe it's about a different country. Write one word on there just to remind you. So that each day you pray, as each day you light this candle, you are reminded of a personal need and a global one. And then you respond to God in prayer from that place. My friends, that is a super practical way forward where we can take, out our, take off our masks and become a people of prayer. Jesus says this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Right? This is what Advent is all about. It's about coming to terms with our need for God. Right? That's why we're lighting these candles. That's why we're remembering our personal needs and the global needs because we believe at the deepest level of our being that we need God to show up. This is as true this morning as it was in the 8th century, as it was in the 1st century, and as it will be when God comes to make all things new. This first Sunday in Advent, I just invite you to pray with me this morning. God, we pray that you would reveal our hearts to ourselves. God, we can be a blind, blind people. 
God, help us to see the ways in which we need you spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically. God, we want to be a people who call out and look to you, God, for our restoration, for our healing, for our redemption, God, for our salvation. God, help us to not just say bracketed, right, in our own comfortable spheres, our own comfortable world, but actually look out at the pain of the world, God, and from that place, invite you, Jesus, to come, to be present, God, in places of violence around the world today. God, to be present in places of hopelessness, of starvation, of the abuse of power, of tyranny. God, we ask you to come. God, you are our hope. And God, we ask in the midst of it all that we would never stop turning to you when we are discouraged, when we feel like, God, you are sleeping in. God, we ask that we would just shake and shake and shake and call out that we would never give up on you, God. We would never turn our back on you. God, Advent is all about us continuing to search for you, to seek you with a conviction, God, that you are running towards us. That you will never give up on us and you will never forsake us. God, be with us in this Advent season that we might know your hope, your joy, and your love. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.